Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Oh, yes. Thank you, big boys in the sky. We are back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. It is Sunday afternoon. Barton, this, that's Barton Simmons. This is Chip Patterson. I mean, if you clicked on this, you're a loyal subscriber, you're a fan of the show, and you knew that we we gave you uh, not quite an oath, but we certainly set an expectation that we were going to have some some Sunday shows available for you. And, and Barton, we're here. Week one is not totally done. We'll have to talk about Miami LSU and Florida State Virginia Tech later, but we're here on Sunday, man. We're getting getting in the good habit right from week one. I think it's worthwhile. You know, like every uh, every Sunday, and, and this is a little bit different because NFL hadn't started, but, man, the whole sports world flips the switch to, to the NFL so quickly. And I got a feeling that our our listenership – our, the good people, our crew, aren't ready to flip the switch just yet to the NFL, if at all. Like I think they, I think we, I think we all want to dig into what happened the day before, and so we're gonna try to, we're gonna try to give that to you uh in a timely manner i had uh an awesome one of all of the different uh, emotions and feelings and excitement and disappointment uh the one that i i latched on to uh, at, at some point and it might have even been on on friday it was either friday or saturday i i thought to myself i cannot wait to break this down with barton on the show. And so like that's how I know football is back is that when I'm watching the football, I'm already starting to be like, "Ooh, I cannot wait <laughs> to talk with Barton about Michigan." We have got to do that. And so uh, we're going to get to the Wolverines and we're going to get uh, to everything. The weird attacking this show from the premise of overreactions. And so Barton, I feel like we need to we need to give a little bit of like a surgeon's general warning. We don't necessarily believe all of these overreactions, but they probably or they do or they likely might exist. And I feel like that's a great way to uh, to go back through the week because everyone is overreacting. We've had all summer to think about it, and only one game um, overreaction is the best part of week one. That's right. That's right. It's so like so. It's fun to like look back and think about wow. After week one, we thought that were we ever wrong, and right. and and yet there are some overreactions which are probably appropriate reactions and turn out to be accurate. So we'll try to we'll try to rule on some of these and figure out what is in fact an overreaction and what is in fact appropriately reacting to what we saw. Okay, do you have? Uh, the the two games that I I want to make sure that we we give a good chunk of time to I don't want to have any rush. Um, what we saw in South Bend with Notre Dame over Michigan and Auburn hanging on in Atlanta against Washington. Uh, you get to call it in the air. Which one do you want to go to first? I mean, we might as well go. Let me take my medicine right, <laughs> right? off the right off the jump with Michigan. Uh, it, Chip, 
this is my earliest I've ever had to unpin my college football playoff prediction on Twitter. <laughs> Just to, like you were going to leave it up and you, you quietly. You know, usually I proudly leave it up there for like, an, uh, you know, until until it gets, you know, uh, debunked and ruled to be uh, impossible. And and this is this is the earliest I've had to take it down. We'll, we'll dig. We'll get into it. But it's it's I will say the Michigan fans, your season is not over. And your playoff hopes aren't over either, but where, where's the what overreaction have you got down here? Where should we where should we start? Shea Patterson is not the savior at quarterback. Potentially not even the answer. Yeah, uh, I would so that I, I would rule that as an overreaction, right? Um, but there was and- there was very very little from. Because he had the one like fifty-two yard pass, and for the most part, I don't know if this was a coaching decision, but I found myself uh, not all that impressed by Patterson and his control of the offense. And even when he got a little banged up, left the game, and Lil McCaffrey came in, I I didn't even see uh, a major drop off. So when when you've got that kind of situation. You know, and especially with all the fanfare that came with Patterson's arrival and being named the starting quarterback, I just, I was largely, I mean, it's my cousin Shay. I should be rooting for him. And I just found myself largely unimpressed. I was more unimpressed with the coaching staff than I was Shay. I, I, so Shea you saw that too. Like, it looked like, like it looked like he had. It looked like he was being painted into a box from a play call or backed into a box from a play calling standpoint for sure. They've got a different guy now. They've got they've got so many additional options. They can do. They could. They can look so different offensively if they want to, and they don't. They don't really look that different offensively than what than sort of the 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 trudging plodding offense of last year and. I mean, I remember a throw, and I, it was maybe like second quarter. I mean, I, I, but but it was just sort of a a sprint out pass, and 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 Shake made the throw on the run to like a a comeback route. I don't know who it's to Nico Collins, Donald Peels Jones, or somebody. And it was just like a rope. It was just a pretty. It was a really pretty ball outside the pocket, and it's like like th- this is what he should be doing. He should be getting on the move. He should be. He should be using his legs, and and frankly, they should like. Why not use his athleticism in a in a way like somehow when Dylan McCaffrey came in, they they started to sort of play some quarterback run stuff, and I just don't really get what they're trying to do on offense. Or it's not that I don't get what they're trying to do. I just don't think they're trying to do enough with with Shea Patterson. I, I was I was having a like I was texting with a uh, a college coach that was watching the game. Uh, and he was like, and he was sort of talking about Michigan a little bit. And he was like, uh, Michigan plays too many plays you only see once. Um, and and I kind of prodded him on that a little bit. And he was like, yeah, we call them one-offs here. Basically, like, the way he takes it is like they're overthinking it. Like, they don't have just like a go-to play that they're really good at that they just find a lot of success in. And some of that I think you can credit Notre Dame's defense to taking – taking those taking away sort of a, a bread and butter play but Michigan they've got all these offensive coordinators they've got these NFL coaches and and they're just are they're just like overthinking it's like they're trying too hard and I just think 
they could be they're like they don't have to be this bad on offense or then bad not even the right word but just this this um uh, i don't know this monotonous i guess i it's so interesting too because i remember when steve lorenz um from 24 7 sports we were checking in on michigan during our around the world preseason show and it, it was steve right who talked about how it was all about simplicity and how yeah. the offensive line uh, they felt like there had been a big change and, and ed warner comes in and and things all of a sudden are no longer so complex that uh there there's all these different wrinkles and offensive linemen don't know what's going on but man there's i just I, it feels like that offense a doesn't have an and this this it feels like they don't have an identity and they just are blah right and that's yeah. and I I don't know uh, I I don't know if there is an answer and I don't I don't know where the switch gets flipped I mean well do you remember we talked to Cole Kubelik about Michigan's offensive line he was like well one of the things that I think is really you know exciting about this team is they've got Shea Patterson and. This like they don't have to just try to run like line up and pound people. They can like Shea Patterson allows them to do so much more from a from a zone read RPO. Like they can move Shea, move the pocket, um, and it just didn't feel like any of those things that we felt like could unlock this offense were taking place. So I it just it I, it felt uninspiring by the Michigan. Um, and just in terms of what what they presented to us, but I'll say this: like again, if we're, we're get, there's there's so much doom and gloom right now with Michigan. Like, oh my goodness, look at like hardballs on the hot seat, all this stuff. If you think about this, like Michigan just lost by seven on the road at night, week one, to what could be one of the best teams in college football, and they had the ball in the fourth quarter driving with a chance to tie it so this could be one of those cases where we look back at this game and say man like Michigan was far from dead and so while I unpin my tweet look Michigan is still capable of winning the rest of its schedule and it's and if it does that if if, if Michigan goes and wins the Big Ten they're still in the playoffs right you know so and and so I think all right well now Unless you got more on Michigan, I think then then we then we sort of pivot to the other side, and I think probably the overreaction here is all right. College football playoff. College football playoffs. Let's go. Notre, Notre Dame's got some some key non-con wins. The strength of schedule is really really good. We got past Michigan. There's like four really tough games. If they only lose one game there, Notre Dame's ready to make its first appearance in the college football playoff. Like, do you believe it? No, I thought that what we saw from uh, I thought that Notre Dame's wide receivers were outstanding, and I thought Brandon Wimbush did a good job of making some plays with his legs. But I, it it felt like the kind of game where talent level between Notre Dame and Michigan seemed about even. And this and this is also what made it fun is that you know it wasn't always work and it didn't work offensively particularly well for Notre Dame near the end. I thought Notre Dame's defensive front. Uh, played great, but played really, really good. Did a, and you know some of that might be Michigan's offensive line, but I'm will I'm more willing to take I'm more willing to take me being impressed with Notre Dame's defensive front 
and maybe it's defense in general as the the real heartbeat of this team and spinning that forward than thinking that Brandon Wimbush is has gone from good to great. The overreaction is that you just look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, Brandon played great. This yeah. is this is going to be the step that we were looking for. Uh, Notre Dame's going to the playoff. And I think the real, I think to step back from that is that this defense is still really, really feisty. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think Brandon Wimbush looked better. Do you agree? I mean, he looked, I, I think that, that Brandon Wimbush was the win, Brandon Wimbush that I expected or that I think we all thought we would see last year. Would you agree with that? That's fair. And which doesn't mean he's a Heisman candidate. No. But it, it just means he's, means he's a, a good, good quarterback. A good college quarterback. Right. Yes. And, and I think if that's who Brandon Wimbush is, a, like a couple things I liked about Notre Dame. One, the defense, I thought the defense, Going into the game, I thought they had a good defense. They might have a great defense. Correct. I'm, I'm Alohi, willing to entertain that now. Alohi Gilman at safety, I think, is a total game changer. Like If they had him last year, that makes that unit a lot better. And and having him this year does that. Like It makes them a lot better. I, he was flashing a lot. And then I think one thing we do feel pretty good about is, now, granted, running back, they still don't have Josh Adams, I don't think. Nope. But... I think we feel pretty – I think we should be encouraged by what they have on the outside of the skill position. Like, we heard they were good. We thought they were good. I didn't know were, those dudes' names well. I mean, that that was one of my first introductions to the full wide receiving core for Notre Dame, and I was impressed. Right, right. Like, those guys looked the part. They, uh, they went out and made plays. Um, and so I think that that's – that's encouraging. And then if, you know, again, if Brandon Wimbush is a better Brandon Wimbush, then that's a that's a pretty good sign. So I think then you look at like everyone talks about how tough Notre Dame's schedule is. Well, it's it's only tough when you look at it like from 30,000 feet. When you look at it game by game, it's pretty manageable. Like they should beat Ball State. They should beat Vanderbilt. They should beat Wake. Stanford is at home. At Virginia Tech, I I think we'll find out Monday that Virginia Tech is a, is a more beatable team than – They've been Pitt at home, Navy just lost to Hawaii at Northwestern. They can they should be able to win that Florida State at home, and then Syracuse and at USC. It's like what on that game other than at USC really terrifies you? So I think Florida I think, State could beat them at home. Who? I think Florida State could win that game in South Bend. Oh, of course, a- absolutely. But I'm just saying, I think when you just come when you this this schedule, I think when you look at a game by game, is not as brutal as it appears from 30,000 feet. So I, I, I am willing to entertain Notre Dame as a playoff contender now, more so certainly than I was before the game. Um, I didn't have any other big-time overreactions. I've got four overreactions for Auburn-Washington. You want to go there? Yeah. Every Auburn game is going to be close, and you're going to be pulling your hair out because of that Auburn offensive line. I just feel like this is going to be an Auburn team that is going to be scraping it together. And another Auburn overreaction is that Nick Coe is going to be one of the best defensive players in the entire SEC. But I just, I, I didn't see a whole lot. And I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't find myself as I was sort of rewinding and bouncing around from game to game. You know, there were times where I was like, man, they're, they're really struggling with pass blocking. And then there were other times where, 
you know, and, and Washington has a very, very good defensive front, but I was like, man, they're, they're getting some penetration. That's uh that's really shutting down some of this, uh, some of what Auburn's trying to do through the run game. I, and they've got a lot of experience left uh, for a group that is still getting used to playing together, particularly in games. But I just, I'm coming away from this feeling like nothing is going to be easy for Auburn offensively or when they're playing against the best teams because this is far from the group that we would see a year ago that would just get out there and just start paving the pathway for Carryon Johnson. Maybe, but do you, are you, is that an overreaction you believe in or not? I think they can improve. I think the overreaction is that the fan, like that overreaction comes from reading some Auburn fan sites where there's a lot of like sweat and frustration already. Probably there was built in their minds going into the game because it was such a talking point for Auburn, but then also that there wasn't much in that game that said, hey, you know what? This offensive line is for real. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think as a, as a counter-argument to that, like – how bad was that group last year against Clemson? And I know Clemson is is so is obviously as good as it comes on the defensive front, but if they rallied from that, then yeah, there is they rallied proof. from that. Yeah, and and I think for me, this like all right is 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 an overreaction that Auburn is is a college football playoff contender, uh, valid to you. Like, is it a valid statement? Yeah. Yeah. Listen, they they just beat Washington, and I don't I don't think um, I I think that Auburn could win the SEC. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I I kind of like what I saw at Auburn because I mean the defense was as good as we thought it would be, and I thought I felt like Jarrett Stidham had a really impressive performance, and I felt like. Look, they knew this was a skin of their teeth kind of game. They knew that they they sort of had to play it that way, and I felt like Gus Malzahn and Chip Lindsey looked like they knew how to use Jarrett Stidham, unlike any points last year, like where it just felt like Jarrett Stidham was this foreign object that they couldn't figure out how to operate. And now it looks like they're comfortable saying, you know what, you're a quarterback. You're not a you're not a you're not a running back under center. You're not a and you're not Cam Newton. You're just a you're you're a passing quarterback and we're gonna give you the tools to to play to that. And he just they they gave him progressions, they gave him options, they gave him freedom as a as a passer, and I thought he looked really comfortable in that role. And the running game to me will come. Like that was one of the toughest defensive fronts in the college football, likely. And I think the running game will be there. And so I, I leave this game feeling pretty good about Auburn. Now, you know, can they beat Bama? I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. See, that's the other problem. Is we saw that you even if you walk out of that being like, man, Auburn, I wasn't going to pick Auburn, but Auburn looks good. Then you got to see the uh, the Saturday yeah. night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the big show. So what about all right? Flip side overreaction is Washington Pac-12 out of the playoff. Is Pac-12 out of the playoffs? Yeah, buying that? Uh, no, definitely not buying that. Uh, and my other overreaction is that. How about this? My other overreaction is that Jake Browning puts a hard ceiling on how good Washington can be, and that's an overreaction. I might believe. That's an over. That's an overreaction I've had 
I've been carrying that overreaction with me since 2016. Yeah. When when Alabama just baptized him in the college football playoffs, and and I, I didn't think he was Jake, good. I I did it, not think Jake Browning looked good against Auburn. Right. And and it's funny because I I tweeted that basically I, I tweeted something to, to the effect of like Jake Browning is a good quarterback, but he's in over his head against these type of defenses. And then like for the rest of the game, I had to sort of field the like at old takes exposed whenever he like made a first down throw. And it's like he he actually was okay. But and he made some throws like that there was one throw where he got like got just totally clocked and uh, and where he stood in and made a tough throw on a, it was a third and long where they were a yard short but it was just an impressive tough guy throw. But the bottom line is Though there, there's only about five defenses in college football that Jake Browning is in over his head against. It's like it's Auburn, it's um, it's Alabama, it's Clemson. You know, I don't even know if there is one in the in the Pac-12. Um, you know, maybe a Michigan, maybe a, a Notre Dame, but there's not many of them out there. And that's why Washington is going to be really good this year. But when they run up against one of those defenses. I just don't think Jake Brown has got it. He just doesn't have enough horsepower. Man, and, they they looked so. It, it is shocking how bad it, and how how frustrate not bad how frustrating it was to watch Washington in the red zone and near the goal line and to still know that they had a great chance to win that game. How frustrating it was for Washington. Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they really. Sh- I mean, is it safe to say they like? I don't know. When you think back, like they probably should have won that game, right? Yes, they should have won that game. The defense, the the Washington defense, came up with so many stops at the end of long Auburn drives and forced so many field goals. And when Washington finally got its scoring opportunities, the only touchdowns it got felt like flukes. And then you had the turnover. Like I mean, the like. The um the fumble that was recovered, you had missed field goals. Like the, you know, I'm we were sitting here for the the picks pod. I mean, I had I had picks interest in Washington being able to cover that two and a half, and you know, I I still felt at the beginning of the fourth quarter like this was a game that Washington yeah. could win or that that at least that cover could cash. And man, I just you go back and and you just circle all of those different times that Jake Browning and the Washington offense got the ball in scoring position and then just turtled up and couldn't do anything. Yeah. That had to be a brutal game to watch, uh, being on the Washington side for sure. Yes. Uh, I mean, (laughs) but I, I, but I, I fully anticipate Washington leaving that game and being like, this is, is pro it feels like Washington is going to go 11 and one this year. It feels like that's going to be the only trip up all year long. Um, and so uh, that, that's why, like if you're a Washington fan again, because when Jake Browning doesn't play the freak shows, he's going to look really good and he's going to take care of business and Washington's going to be really good. And that's why I think there isn't a lot. I don't even think like, is there even, I mean, I don't think you could make an argument that there's a there's a freak show defense like that in the Pac-12. Uh, uh, I mean, depends on how highly you think of USC. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about USC in a little bit, but I mean, they gave up 20 
one to UNLV. Um, so maybe they grow into that, but I, I have a, a hard, I, I don't, even if USC is, is as good as I'm sort of predicting them to be, I don't think it'll be behind a defense like that at Auburn. Um, I've got an overreaction for Oklahoma that I do not believe in. You ready for it? Yeah. We're fine with Kyler. We are totally fine with Kyler. No drop-off in offensive production. I've seen everything I need to see. Kyler Murray can be <laughs> as good and as productive as Baker Mayfield. I mean, you know what? We're back in the playoff, and I wouldn't be surprised you know, if, if Murray – Murray probably gets more Heisman juice because you know he's going to play for the Oakland A's after this year. you got to capitalize on it this year. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well – I, I mean, I w- I'll say this much, like, I was pleasantly, look, and there was a little bit of, it wasn't a lot of resistance you got on FAU. Yikes. But I was pleasantly surprised by Murray. It felt like he was, he, he looked more comfortable than I've seen him as a quarterback. Not as just a, hey, I'm going to go out here and be better, be a better athlete than everybody. Um and so that to me is encouraging, not just that he had, was productive, but sort of the way he was productive. Um, but I don't know. I, I think like my overreaction to be ruled on would be this team's better than last year because right. the defense is better. Ooh, see, I'm, I, I am not ready to take that jump yet because I also have an overreaction on my notepad that the lane trains over. <laughs> it's done. Like, yeah, like I've you, been, I sniffed that out preseason. We'll see what happens. But I've been, I've, I've had a little bit of a hunch that this, there was a little bit of uh, marketed efficiency with, with the lane hype preseason. I mean, cause you lose, I, I mean, just go back. You lost your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator and FAU looked way worse on both offense and defense. Yeah. You know, they got, they got steamrolled by Wisconsin, Wisconsin last year. Yeah. And Navy like, too. Yeah, so I mean, we'll maybe this is just how they operate, and they'll just get it rolling. I mean, they'll they'll, they'll still up, put up sixty on a few teams and and look sharp here and there. But I, I do, I anticipate a little bit of a drop off from FAU this year. But like I, there were Rodney Anderson had a great game, uh, and the Oklahoma offensive line looked great, and I I was having to even check myself within the game, like, oh yeah, remember that they're not going to be just. Uh, clearing the way of defenders every single time in the Big Twelve, the way they are today against FAU. True, but at this, but to, in support of the overreaction, like all the people that were like, "Oh, like good luck, Oklahoma," you know, you just lost the number one NFL draft pick. Uh, I, this, this is you know, this will be a drop off year. Like they have as good a skill group as there is in college football with Rodney Anderson and all those receivers, they've got a, one of the best offensive lines in college football, according to the people that know that. And they've got Lincoln Riley. Dude, he's just <laughs> dialing it up. And if they're improved on defense, and it appears they might be a little bit improved on defense, why do we not think that they've got a great shot at being right back there in the college football playoffs. It's not like Texas showed us that they're going to be the new challengers in the in the Big Twelve. Uh, I, you know, this is this this OU team. Uh, I mean, you gotta like. I do leave this game thinking like, all right, have we just sort of 
are, are people did people just forget about OU and and is it not a like I think if I'm if I'm looking for smart money picks, I think there's probably smart money as far as OU versus any other single team. OU feels like they've got as good of a shot at making the playoffs as anybody not named like Clemson or Alabama. There was an interesting note from Gary Patterson. I think he actually shared it during that coach's mega cast of the Rose Bowl, Oklahoma, Georgia. And they and this was what, I guess, uh, almost a month, a couple weeks after uh, TCU had just lost 41-17 to Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. And he mentioned how tough it is to go up against Lincoln twice because he, you know, he gets to see all your stuff. He goes back to the drawing board and Lincoln's game plan for matchup number two is, is almost going to be flawless. And that alone combined with everything I saw from Oklahoma has me so confident that Oklahoma is going to win the big 12. And, you know, given what we've seen elsewhere, then that a, a one loss or, I mean, an undefeated Big 12, undefeated Oklahoma gets in 100%. One loss, Oklahoma, is going to be right on the cutting board. So I, I like your call. I, if that's, I don't know if you're presenting that as an overreaction, but I guess the overreaction would set be for Oklahoma, playoff, here we come. Right, right. Which we'll see. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to get your thoughts on what to make of Ohio state dropping the 77 spot on Oregon state I have is <laughs> you go first. <laughs> so, I mean, I will say this, like, as I was watching that play out, I was like, uh, yeah, I probably picked the wrong big 10 team in the college football playoffs. <laughs> and, and like, it, it's, it's an impressive thing to watch that that machine move and go. And I think as much as anything like that defense, God, they're so good up, up front. But before I overreact and say, like, this is the best offense, the Big Ten, or this is like they sh- – you know, I mean, look, I know it's not like anyone is surprised Ohio State's good. I just do want to add a little bit of context to that score. Like, this, this is what – like, Ohio State rolls up the teams they're better than. Right. You know, I mean, last year they went fifty-six to nothing against Rutgers, and fifty-six-fourteen against Maryland, and fifty-six-fourteen against Nebraska. And then two weeks later, they go they lose fifty-five twenty-four to Iowa. So, I, I whatever the overreaction could be to Ohio State is like I, this is not the time to make any sort of reaction on Ohio State, other than just yep, they are as talented as we thought they are, and they are college football playoff good talented good you know and that's that's not new like that's not a new reaction so I, like i just sort of but i think as even though i like as, as that was going on and when it was over i was like oh that's the best team in the country <laughs> like i i also check myself a little bit and and remind myself like this is what ohio state does to these kind of teams. I mean, there were like there was one third down play uh, where the it was ended up being a, a first down completion to Austin Mack, and it was a pretty good, like pretty well delivered ball from Haskins. But for the most part, like the the Oregon State receiver just kind of I'm not receiver the Oregon State cornerback just looked like a high schooler like draping on Mack's back. I mean, Ohio yeah. State out there. That's Ohio State is a get off the bus. 
and they've already and they've already up a touchdown type matchup with Oregon State, which is crazy. And it shows how much work Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State head coach, has to do to be able to get Oregon State to a place where they're even the, you know, plucky underdog Jaquiz Rogers era like can knock you off. But Ohio State should have rolled him up. Okay, you ready for my overreaction? Yeah, I my overreaction is. Uh, an actual feeling and emotion that I had. And it was something that I, I started hollering about well before Greg McElroy got on it. But I am ignoring passing touchdown stats for Dwayne Haskins if they're going to be running that fly sweep every single time they're in the red zone. What were they doing? He was doing the little shuffle pass thing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he did two or three of them. He definitely – I saw two, and I think there might have been three. One was to Mike Weber. I think another one was to Johnny Dixon. And you're just – and it ends up going down on the books as a, like, seven-yard touchdown reception. But yeah, I was, we got to fix that glitch, man. I was coming out of this. I was <laughs> like, man, Dwayne Haskins is going to end up breaking touchdown records uh, by just throwing shovel passes at the goal line. <laughs> yeah. I'd say that's fair. I'd say that 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 that's a fair presents, <laughs> that that presents some uh, some some misleading statistics for the lazy Heisman voters uh, back down late in November. Yeah, uh, when they're looking at that touchdown interception ratio, and ten of them are shuffle passes. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's like, well, I mean, yeah. and and I'm not gonna call any names out. Everyone tries hard. There's way too many college football teams for any one human being to have a total intimate knowledge of every single. I mean, even. Phil Steele needs a team, uh, like a squad, to help him pull all of his information together. But there is going to be somebody who's out here arguing for Dwayne Haskins and the Heisman and pointing to a touchdown-to-interception ratio and calling him the most efficient quarterback in the Big Ten. Uh, so you want to go Big Ten East Michigan State? Because I think that's worth a, a reaction of some sort. For sure. Um, <laughs> worrisome. My, my overreaction, I said defensive performance against Utah State is worrisome. So, do you believe that? Yes. Are, are you are you worried about Michigan State? No. Yeah, I'm not either. I, the, Michigan State does this, man. They just play. They play up and they play down. And I think that a I think Utah State's probably better than the people realized. Certainly offensively, um, and I think Michigan State will. You know, they got what Arizona State next week. Yeah, I think that's when we find out who Michigan State is because that's a losable game. Speaking of reactions and overreactions, uh, Arizona State, you know, Herm Edwards rolled in day in week one for him for him. So that that'll be, I think, a telling game for both sides. I look at this and say, offensively, Michigan State made the plays when they needed to. Defensively, they have to iron some things out. Yeah, but this this is this is. This is what Michigan State does. You know, sometimes they kill those teams. Sometimes they let them mess around. But we're not we're not really going to have much of a sense on who they are until next week, and they go down to Tempe. I mean, that's a they're on the road, so that'll be one to watch. Yeah, I don't believe it, but worrisome. You know, like if if all of a sudden Michigan State was not rock solid on defense, the whole house of cards falls apart. Yeah, but they all but they would. Yes, right. Agreed. That is the reaction, and I say nothing to worry about because they will be. If there's one, th- and I guess all right. So here's maybe I'm, I'm talking myself through this. 
D coordinator's gone. So if, if there's one sort of element that's missing there, may, maybe there's a, a, some growing pains here. But I, I w- would venture to guess that this is, this gets ironed out and gets ironed out pretty quickly. Um, I I'll throw this off. I'll, I'll throw this one uh, on the we we really might. I, I know I, I named the uh, episode fifty overreactions. We might hit sixty. We might hit like sixty nine as I had all these <laughs> other ones on there. Uh, I I think I have given uh, this is a personal overreaction. I have given L J Scott too much credit. He flashed early on in his career. He's been there forever. I don't think that L J Scott is a game breaking power five level running back. Yeah, I think that that is, I think that's fair. I'm with you on that. I, I think that that's, you know, I mean, in watching that game, like I, the offensive line didn't like blow Utah State off the ball. You know, I think if any, like the plays came from from um, Lewerke. Brian Lewerke. Yeah, you know, he was whether he's making plays with his arm, whether he was extending plays, avoiding sacks. He was what was making them tick, and and the offensive line maybe was somewhat disappointing in that they couldn't manhandle Utah State. But also, I think it's fair to give a little because yeah, it just got sort of been in our consciousness now for a while, and now here we are, and I'm not so sure that NFL scouts are talking about him quite like they might have been after his freshman year. So I'm I'm kind of with you on that take too. Um. Do you want to stay in the uh, Big Ten East for a little Big Ten, Big 12 talk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd say it's time. I think <laughs> it's time. <laughs> We've waited long enough for this one. This, this could have led the show. Um. All right. Just, just right off the top. Overreaction. Nothing has changed. And it's not just the results. It's the way the team looks. It's the way these things come together i nothing seems to have improved and the step forward that i was calling my shot on i'll tell you what my bold prediction of sam ellinger making a a big 12 offensive player of the year run ain't happening (laughs) yeah man that's that one now both of us (laughs) how how about my how about my sam ellinger will be an iconic texas quarterback (laughs) (laughs) play that i've been pitching for a, a year and a half now I'm not feeling so good about that one anymore. Oh, it's he's just he's look and he's still he has like he has a flair for the dramatic and he has a a knack for a big play here and there, but he's just not a like throwing the football. Just it doesn't. I don't know. Like he's not. He was throwing like some, you know, like flare passes and stuff that were just didn't feel. Like I almost felt I got a little Jeremy Johnson vibe or something to it. It's like that, that should look easier than it. Than yeah, it does. yeah, yeah, it does. The only thing <laughs> the like quarterback draw is the only play that looks natural for him right now. Yeah, it's and which is I don't know, man. It's a little weird. Like he just he was he he was. Uh, there's I mean, not. I, guess, I mean, there, there there's not much of a running game. Every offensive possession is just a struggle that is going to require a third and nine throw to, to Colin Johnson. Uh, every, you know, every, every single time that something gets going and like, I, I do want to step back because this also applies to Washington and it also applies to Michigan. Look, a couple plays go differently. Texas wins this game 
and that the sky is not falling. But because this is the overreaction season, because everyone overreacts about week one, the, the conversation is that, man, this Texas team does not look good. They're, but even if they eke that out, even if Texas finds a way in the second half to just just finds a way to win, I don't think any Texas fan is like, oh, man, those guys got some grit. They figured out a way. It was going to be a good year. I think I think the sky is still falling for Texas fans, if they, even if they just find a way to win, just because it doesn't – this is, this is a – I'll steal from my own tweet this weekend, but like it just – how many years in a row are we going to feel like Texas – is in the first year of some cultural reconstruction. Like it just, they just don't, it's, they just look sloppy. They don't. And I, I got a text from someone this week. It was like, they just don't look that athletic. Mm. Like they don't look like they have just dudes like they should. And, and I, and I was getting a bunch of people, Maryland fans tweeting, saying no love, no respect for Maryland, huh? Like this is, you know, maybe this is just actually a good Maryland team. I get it. Like Maryland is a pretty good team. And that's why if not for the, all the off the field stuff, I would have felt like Maryland is a team that could win this game. But but this is still Texas, and we're what seven years in now, or whatever it is, to just mediocre Texas. And Texas should be not a top ten team; they should be like a top three team in the in the country. In college football, Texas has one of the most is like you can make a case that is the best job in college football, or at least you could have in the past. I don't know. Maybe there's some sort of weight and and burden on the head coach there that we're missing that others don't have. But Texas just should be able to beat Maryland, and it should be able to do it in week in year two. And this was supposed to be a year where Texas is good, and maybe they'll still be good. And this is the exception, but. It didn't feel like that they were close. Is there anything about Texas that you come out of that Maryland game feeling excited or optimistic about? I don't know. Is that a trick question? Because I can't think of it. I can't either. What's, what, what do you have? No, yeah, like, no nothing. Like I, I just, I did not come out of that I game. Mean, I, hate to, that, I hate to be that doom and gloom, but I, I truly, like it's all, I'm, as, as you ask it, <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, nothing. I've got, there, there was nothing that makes me feel like this is anything better than a six or seven win team. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm just like thinking, all right, so I don't know. They still like little Jordan Humphreys and Colin Johnson are still going to be mismatches that almost no team wants to see. But then Texas just doesn't like, they just, those guys just can disappear for a while and they can't, Texas can't really get them to football. And, uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, I didn't even like. I don't even have a. I don't even have a Puna Ford, Malik Jefferson type player to get excited about on the defensive side. Yeah, I didn't see. I didn't like. Like you said, like those guys. I wanted to see somebody flash a little bit more. And look, let's. I think. I'm. I am a. The 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 loyal listeners know I'm a Matt Canada apologist, and I think he deserves some credit for sort of neutralizing the what were their really good players with with a lot of the jet sweeps sweep stuff like Brecken Hager could never really get get on balance because there was always a guy he had to account for running past him and there was always a you know a, a way for him to be wrong uh, by the way that Maryland was operating 
And so I think that while Texas, you know, is a little discouraging defensively, I also think that, you know, Matt Canada and Maryland and that offense deserve some credit and just sort of making those guys play slow. Matt Canada, oh, this is my uh, overreaction. Uh, Matt can two overreactions for Maryland. Number one, Matt Canada is uh, that's your next head coach. Do you uh, do you, do you want to take a take an early shot at endorsing or uh, or slowing the roll on that one? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I I don't know. He's I I because that, that is Matt, the overreaction. Is like you right. know what? Let's just roll with Canada. Let's let's just right. go with it. Hey, right. I mean, shoot, he's got a chance. Like, I mean, if if he makes the Matt, Matt Canada's know. been cool to me, so I I. I like you. I'm I'm a little bit of a Canada apologist and I look at this on like the human and industry level and I'm like, "All right, Matt, like if you you've got an opportunity to do this, I don't think that it's in the bag, certainly not yet, but there's an opportunity for him to string this together into a Power 5 head coaching job." Well, the thing about Matt Canada is that I think he, his personality is a better fit as a head coach than as an assistant coach. Like that's been sort of the knock is he's this sort of abrasive guy that butts heads with whoever his head coach is. And he, you know, they just at some point they don't get along. Like if you're the guy, if you're the alpha setting the tone and everyone's answering to you, that might work a little better. And so to that point, I mean, we, we know he's, he can coach offense and maybe from a personality fit, like he's a better fit as a head coach than a, a coordinator anyways. Um, and then my other Maryland one is uh, that Ja'Shawn Jones is one of the most fun players that I can remember uh, at Maryland, probably since Stefan Diggs. How about that? Like, and, I, and when I was, uh, when he was taunting his way to the end zone, <laughs> I was like, I looked at him, I was like, Oh, like you don't see like that doesn't look like a Maryland guy. Right. And then I and, and then I and then I looked up and realized, oh, that's a Florida kid. Uh, yeah, that's that's about right. Um, <laughs> and so I, I I loved it. And I, now that I looked him up, I remember him from high school, and he was a really good player. One of those guys where it's like he was skinny and like how fast is he? But he's but he's clearly game fast and just a playmaker. Uh, he was he was a lot of fun to watch. Um, any, any other Texas, Maryland overreactions? Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just, who knows what this Texas team's going to look like. That's, that's all I got for them though. Penn state overreaction. That fourth quarter is a sign of potential bad things to come. Yeah. I think more specifically my overreaction is that the defense is is going to be is going to be in trouble? Um, I believe though. So all right, well now just just address your reaction. Like, is is uh, do you how how troubled are you about Penn State? I'm not that troubled. I don't. I don't. I think that a. I think that defense with all the new faces. And, and you know, sort of transition in, a, in what is a little bit of a, a transitioning year personnel-wise for them on that side of the ball at a couple key positions. I think to uh, to to let 
a, a team as dangerous as Appalachian State climb back into the game with the furious rally is troubling, but I would not identify those as issues that I consider to be uh, something that'll sustain through the season or, or a situation where I would fear the exact same thing if they happen to be carrying a three touchdown lead against one of their division rivals. I, I just, I think that there's a chance we might've just seen a little bit of a learning experience for that defense. One where they're probably lucky to have gotten out of there with a win. Yeah, this is, I, I just think, I do think that people overestimated Penn state this year. Uh, I mean, I look, they, I picked them nine and three, like I'm okay with that performance for my nine and three pick. I think that they look, they survived it. They'll, they'll win. They'll, they'll keep getting better. Um, and I think that this defense is going to be a little bit more like that 2016 unit that took some time to get their feet under them with Brent and Brent Price first year. And so I think this defense will keep getting better offensively. I'm not really worried about them. Uh, but this is just – I think this is kind of who they are in a sense. Like they're not – this isn't – this wasn't – this isn't Ohio State. Now that – they get some key games at home so they can still beat those teams. But this is not a team that is is like fresh out the packaging ready to play for a college ball playoffs. If they get if they are a college ball playoff team, like they will grow into that. And I think there's still that potential to happen, especially given what their schedule looks like. All right. Uh, Appalachian State overreaction. This was the performance that Scott Satterfield needed or didn't need, but that this is a performance that will take Scott Satterfield, even in the overtime loss, uh, from that, uh, you know, only college football coaches and a few coaching insiders. I think that that was a big enough stage especially when you look at the, some of the turnover that Appalachian State had had. They still had Jalen Moore, who had a really good performance down the stretch. But that was the kind of game that gets Scott Satterfield on people's lips when they start talking about the coaching carousel in December. Yeah, definitely. And he should be. there. I mean, that's that team has always played so hard. It's so good. Remember when they almost beat Tennessee? Yeah. Opening week, what was it? Was it two years ago? Um, you know, I mean, they just – that's a – that's a really good coach that always has his guys ready to play. And I don't, I don't know why he wasn't getting any much more attention last year during the carousel. But to me, he's going to be, I think he's, he's like group. He's moved himself into contention as group of five, number one guy. And he's a, a listen, former Appalachian state quarterback. He was the quarterback's coach when Appalachian state went and beat Michigan he, you know, lives right there in the area. There, there are a lot of, uh, you know, being at home that are, might keep him from chasing a job. But I think that in this carousel, after this performance, especially if they go on uh, to, as you know, me and a lot of other people expect, either compete for or win the Sun Belt title, then yeah, this year there's going to be more suitors, even if he's not trying to make himself be interested. He's going to show up on all those lists. Yeah. Uh, should we take it to the number one team in the country? Okay. Overreaction. Uh, they're not going to lose a regular season game, and I'm not sure that's an overreaction. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Oh, actually, uh, you know what my overreaction was? Here's what I have written down. The Tide are a super team and may not trail all regular season. 
There you go. Now we're talking <laughs> over reaction. <laughs> I said, yeah, like they. I think, first of all, my thing with Alabama is like they. I was wondering if Nick Saban would be committed to Tua heading into the game. Like, is he going to play this game where it's like, ah, we're going to play both quarterbacks and we're still going to be a ball control offense. We're going to protect our defense and, you know, just sort of try to squeeze the the excitement out of this offense in order to just maintain our, our identity year over year. It looks like they are going to embrace Tua as their guy and embrace what their weapons are on offense. And that is bad news for everybody else. It's just fun. Tua Tagovailoa is a really, really fun quarterback to watch play football. Agreed. I mean, agreed. And I look like I want to just every person that said, Oh, one half body of work. Like, congratulations. Like, well, you know, two, Jalen's done it for 28 games, and uh, we'll see what he can do. You know, when the, they've got a time to prepare for him, shut up, shut <laughs> up. He is, he is that good. Like I'm, tr- I've been trying to tell you guys this for a year and a half. He is that good. All you people out there, and it's people are finding out now. And this is not that isn't. Look, I, I am, I am on the Louisville under. I don't think Louisville is a great football team, but that's not unrepresentative of what Alabama is going to be as a double negative there that is representative of what Alabama is going to be I mean that is who they are this year they are a team that can that Tua can improvise he can make plays he can throw a, a slant route to Devontae Smith who can turn it into 60 he can hand it off to Damian Harris who is is Mark Ingram reincarnate like I mean I hate to just be like a love fest on Bama, but they're that good on offense. And here's the thing that I think is more encouraging to me. Like that offense is what I expected it to look like. Oh, defensively. Good. Defensively, gracious. they look like Alabama. Yeah. Like oh, I was a little God. worried defensively they weren't going to look like Alabama. And I they was, did. I, I felt so dumb. I mean, and that was – and like Tom texted me this. He was like, yeah, so about that whole might be a step back for Bama defense thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh man, this it just it speaks to the desperation for something new and different for those of us who've been covering Alabama through this time that we can talk like in the long off season we can talk ourselves into the idea that for some reason a team of four and five stars might not be uh, extremely prepared and motivated to come out <laughs> and just crush like Deontay Thompson is good. Why yeah. like why was I not allowing myself to think that he was going to step up and be a game changer? Trevon Diggs is a baller. Like Mac Wilson's great. Raquan Davis is super. They are so nasty. Yeah. I I will say this and this like I am this is an over I am in fact overreacting here in a sense. Like I heading into this weekend I thought Clemson was the number 1 team in the country. I really did. I think I leave the weekend back on like, and I thought that really for the entire time I've been making like preseason predictions. Like Clemson, like Clemson's the team to beat. Everyone's talking about Alabama. Clemson's the team to beat. Alabama's going to be trying to beat Clemson. I I am I think that game may have influenced me enough to where I I just I think Alabama's the best team in the country because and it, again it's it's not really about the offense. 
again, that's what I expected their offense to look like. It's really more about the defense, that that defense seems to be everything Alabama defenses are. <laughs> and so um, it's it was a it was a rough night for uh, for the for the contenders around the country. Yeah, because Alabama. I mean, like, and you're right, Alabama. Alabama might not win the national championship, but there's no doubt in my mind that they're the best team in the country. That's why we play the games. Um, okay. Will Greer, Heisman front runner. How's that for overreaction? I had a, uh, I had a Stidham over Greer first half tweet um, that people like to throw in my face after he ended up with 430 yards. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, Will Greer is really good. Um, he's going to, uh, like, I don't know, man. I, it's, 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 it, to me, that the, the bigger question is, is that was that a legitimate defense that he just posted forty points on, or is that a, or is, is that ten- a shell of an SEC defense? Or is Tennessee is Tennessee in tr- overreaction? Uh, right. Tennessee. E- yeah, yeah. Yeah, one overreaction is dependent on the other. Um, so I don't know. I, that that's that's a tough one for me to call. I, I that'll that'll certainly sort itself out as all these will, but that'll sort itself out as the season progresses. In a way, I was. Is it is it weird to say that forty to fourteen didn't feel as depressing as it sounds for Tennessee? Or, or do you, would you disagree with that? I would disagree with that, but it was only because it was so evident early how in over their heads Tennessee was. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't like the, it, it wasn't like they were in it and then it fell apart. I mean, it was pretty much from the jump. They were outclassed. So I'll say this in a positive on West Virginia is I've been fading them a little bit. Um, but the fact that that defense looked as good as it did, and again, you know, how much are we, you know, how much is that Tennessee's offense? But the fact that that defense was as active and as physical and as effective as they looked makes me think this West Virginia team could be better than I thought. Kenny Bigelow, I was yeah. I'd, how about I, that? I had sold all my Kenny Bigelow stock. Uh, yeah, I had too. And he uh, he was a difference maker up front that was very very impressive and and that sort of packs into what you're saying is man if if west virginia has just havoc monsters up front i just it it is going to be so hard for me to jump on of west virginia knowing what those final four games look like and so even as west virginia's eight and oh or seven and one i'm gonna be like yeah okay all right well let's let's get till november we'll see I'll say this about Tennessee, though. I like Jared Guarantano. Did, did, I mean, I felt like this, like he showed toughness. He got crushed. He got his ass kicked a little bit, and he kicked. kept on getting up. And he made some good – like he looked like he had command. And I think that that's the best takeaway you can have if you're Tennessee is Jared Guarantano appears to be – a starting quarterback. Like you've got a starting quarterback. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to sweat about it. Like you got a quarterback you can win games with. Now get the rest of it figured out. Trevor Lawrence should start at Texas A&M. All right. I will, I will admit that I did not watch any 
of the Clemson game. There was too much going on. I, I did see that he what he scored his first three drives or something. Um, I, I, I mean, I've I've thought Trevor Lawrence to be the starter throughout, so I'm certainly not going to agree with that overreaction, and I'm not even going to call it an overreaction. But I'm I would be curious. Like I'm going to need some. I don't know if, if how much you were able to to watch it, but I might need just Clemson fan. If you weren't, I might need just Clemson fans to to fill me in. But I. My hunch is that I would have expected Trevor Lawrence to look better. Trevor Lawrence, did he was not free of hiccups. Um, There was some timing stuff. And, like, he puts puts so much zip on the ball that, like, the wide receivers kind of looked surprised when they transitioned from Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence between the first and second quarter. Yeah. Kelly Bryant had one beautiful pass to Amari Rogers. Um, Other than that, there were, you know, just kind of missteps. I mean, it just... It just seems like when you when I look at the the Clemson offensive playbook, the way that uh, Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott have been running it in the post Chad Morris era, Kelly Bryant crushes it with your your zone read and your RPO stuff, and Trevor Lawrence made some bad reads doing zone read and RPO stuff. Like he he did not have uh, a full grasp of the timing, and he made some mistakes in that part of the game, but. Th- moving the ball vertically down the field is all Trevor Lawrence. And we know that that's not Kelly Bryant. So, so it, it really is like a, between the two of them, you have Deshaun Watson. It's just, you need both of them to have Deshaun Watson. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like maybe this is a team that truly should have a two quarterback system. And there's a, that could be a tricky deal for defense to prepare for both of those quarterbacks. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe the case is being made right now to just hey play, play a fifty-fifty game. You know, play play a sixty-forty game. Because and, then and, you also uh, hit the defense when uh, the counter punches that you you've gotten so much attention on Kelly Bryant doing the zone read stuff that somehow you're able to slip a receiver or a halfback wide open down the field for a you know long catch and run touchdown. Maybe this is the this is the finally kind of the re uh, reanimation of the Chris Leak Tim Tebow national championship run. Yeah, you know, I mean, just just ha- like that's it's it's not like it's there's no precedent for something like this working. Most teams don't have two quarterbacks that have that are that good with that kind of skill set. So I'll be curious how this plays out. I bet you. I mean, it's a tough even right now. Like. Texas A&M right now like they've got to prepare for two quarterbacks with two very different styles um Bryce love more like bust love <laughs> hey man how about we I, JJ Arcega Whiteside I can't remember if you were on it with me maybe this is on my Facebook show but I, I've been maybe it was on our I, either I, I called this that Bryce love now <laughs> I, I am in mid overreaction I called a Bryce Love under uh, rushing total this year. And so I think the total is like 1,900 yards. It's a pretty good start for the under. What do you yeah. have, like 30? Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was like uh, 14 rushes, 29 yards or something. Yeah, So I, I, but like you're saying, man, the, the, the J.J. Arcega-Whiteside show has begun. That's, that, could be a, that could be a pretty good thing. And Kobe Parkinson – Making some plays too, like they have some good options at wide receiver. Oh, Sega, wide side, da, na, na, 
I'm just going to sing The Killers every single time he has a big game. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what that song was. Yeah, Mr. Brightside. Yeah, yeah, Jealous. yeah. I'll, I'll have the full chorus written by the end of the season. You're, you're, a, you're a jingle mastermind. Um, I... Here's here's an overreaction, which actually I, I believe this one wholeheartedly. Chip Kelly doesn't believe that Chip Kelly's going to be leading UCLA to big things this year. Uh, yeah, man, like that's uh, it's going to take some time, and I think we all, I mean, everyone, every informed voice has been saying this will take some time, but I think pretty much all of those voices also thought that that they would beat Cincinnati. We called that the fool's gold game. The one where like uh, they're gonna run it up on Cincinnati, and you're gonna think UCLA is gonna be great. Yeah, but it, it, it <laughs> so I, I there somewhere else. I also said this is gonna be the the coach that disappoints game um, because I thought they'd win, but I thought that they would it would be ugly doing it, and it would just wouldn't be the sexy offense we we remembered. So uh, I guess I played both sides of the fence on that, but. Yeah, I mean, like, this is – like, I think UCLA is going to end up, like, upsetting someone towards the end of the year. But, like, this is just not going to be a good year for UCLA. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson is is clearly very talented. But he's a freshman quarterback that is has got some work to do in terms of touch and, and, and even accuracy. So, um, this is just a – this is, this is a uh, kind of a – I think it's a good early wake-up call for what the expectations should be. For UCLA fans moving forward, you got any? Uh, you got any other overreactions that stand out? Uh, overreaction: USC playoff pick was a huge mistake. That's an overreaction. I don't overreaction. That. I agree. Yeah, that is an yeah. overreaction. I'm okay. I'm okay like, too. Yeah, I got some. You know, some Twitter some Twitter haters are like, "Oh, nice, nice USC pick, bro." It's like, hey, man, like UNLV is. Like that, there's they're going to be a pretty good team this year. They covered against Ohio State last year too. By the way, USC starting a true freshman quarterback. Uh, they got a true freshman wide receiver that had seven catches for 98 yards and a touchdown. You think those two aren't going to get better together? Uh, you know, like that's USC is going to be fine. USC is going to be fine. I mean, I I didn't I didn't react poorly to the like early UNLV score, and I didn't react poorly when Bowling Green was up ten nothing on Oregon. I was like, all right, cool. Let's see how long this lasts. Right. Yeah. That's gonna be like, hey. Now we'll find out. Like we we, I picked USC to win and UC in UNLV to cover this week, even with my my playoff prediction. So like, I didn't expect a forty point blowout. Where we find out what U- USC is is next week. They play freaking Stanford. I love it. That's going to be a fun game. Um, overreaction: The Sumlin Tate marriage is already a disaster. <laughs> yeah, does it, yeah, probably an overreaction to say disaster. But he's tr- he's trying to Kyler Murray him. Yeah, I mean, and let's let's give Noel Mazzoni some some uh, blame for this too. I mean, perhaps that's the overreaction. Like Noel Mazzoni shouldn't have gotten rehired as Kevin Sumlin's offensive coordinator. I mean, what did he rush for? He rushed for 14 yards or something? Yeah. And they were trying to make him a drop back passer. And I mean, congratulations Khalil Tate. Like this is what you wanted. You could have had Ken Niamatololo who would have made you the most dangerous weapon in all of college football. And you so you have 
some work to do now to make this Kevin Sumlin thing work because now you want to be a drop back passer and you know you made this bed now now lay in it make it work um, but yeah like that's uh, look BYU I'm it's, it's I I don't like seeing BYU bad so this is like an encouraging start for BYU season but they were bad last year so I don't know that we should you know, this wasn't necessarily like a. We can't characterize this as like a good loss yet, or an excusable loss yet. Uh, so it's this is going to be an interesting year for Arizona. I if Alabama had won, if like they had beaten Louisville twenty-one nothing, and the offense had been pretty bland, and it, it just hadn't been so much doggone fun to watch the tide out there, then I, I really was going to come stronger with this one. But I had to tame it a little bit. Uh, you know what? Let's just go for Mississippi it. Mississippi State going to beat Alabama? Ole Miss going to beat Alabama. Oh, th- DK hey. Metcalf was looking awesome. Demarcus Lodge was looking awesome. We know A.J. Brown's a stud. Jordan Tamu is there. My, my, what I have written down on my pad is Ole Miss. Bama game is going to be decided in the 40s, if not the 50s. Dude, I just thought about that. That game is going to be a blast. It's going to be so much fun. And it's in two weeks. That's a week three game. That's going to be so Awesome. And and I I before this season, you know, Barrett Salee got some heat for picking Alabama to to lose to Ole Miss week three. I do not hate that pick. I mean, that's a losable spot. It's at Ole Miss. That's the type of offense where just things crazy things can happen. You know, it the, the flip side is it's hard to envision Ole Miss stopping Alabama. And it's it is easy to envision Alabama finding a way to, to get some stops against Ole Miss, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see because that Ole Miss, I mean, they have thoroughbreds at Ole Miss, and and you know it's how good is Texas Tech, especially with a true freshman quarterback after the starter got hurt. I don't know, um, but Ole Miss made it look pretty fun on offense. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> there's just something beautiful about a free range wide receiver <laughs> just sprinting down the field everyone else behind him jordan tamu ball in the air just touchdown i got those a pretty deep ball but he <laughs> made some throws where guys were covered and made stupid catches too so it was a i mean it was a it was just a really it, yeah i mean when those when the ball's up in the air and it's spinning downfield you just feel good about uh, an old Miss guy coming down with it. Um, that's got to be a fun feeling to have. But I think probably the bigger, hey, the bigger story is 16 carries, 204 yards, two touchdowns for Scotty Phillips. I mean, if they got a run game, that's that's been what they've been missing. And and I think Scotty Phillips, JUCO guy, uh, I, yeah, I, that, that gives them some optimism on that front. I will counter that one because the run, the the ground game getting going did feel like a result of. Uh, Texas Tech being Texas Tech and getting a little panicky about their mismatches uh, on the outside, that just gave them some numbers advantages. I don't think Scotty Phillips will be able to run like that against most SEC teams. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's a that's fair. He will like like LSU isn't nervous about its matchups. LSU thinks they can send their guys out there and and have them go make some plays against those future NFL wide receivers for Ole Miss. I don't think Texas Tech was feeling that way at all. No. Yeah, but I mean, like, there's just, you know, with, with enough spacing 
if you got a guy that can just get in space and makes make one man. Because you're miss, right, like, man. Dude, Phillips took off on one of those yeah. longs touchdown plays. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they get one or two of those, that's a big. That's a big. It's a big boost. Um, so I don't know. Ole Miss is going to be. They'll be fun to watch this year, no matter what the record ends up being. Uh, Rondale Moore is the best all-purpose threat in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably accurate. I mean, I mean I'm, well, I don't know, is it? <laughs> but if it, it sure seems plausible. Uh, he was he was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, him and Jay Sean Jones were, you know, get the true freshman award week one. Uh, but yeah, Rondell Moore, uh, five hundred pound squatter at one hundred seventy four pounds in I high mean, school. Because that's the thing is when you've got the the really compact size with the explosiveness, it's just fun. Yeah. Like I, I hope I'm not uh, being demeaning. I, I would like to think that if there's anything, uh, there is compliment, uh, not necessarily slander in this bias. But it's just when you're when you're a small, strong, compact, explosive football player, and you can you can create. Uh, big plays like more can it's just awesome it is a lot of fun to watch yeah he is i mean and and i think it's so refreshing that he's with a coach that knows how to use a toy like that uh, jeff brom because look he's five seven and a half <laughs> you you gotta like you have to be creative and get those guys the football you can't just tell them to go out and and run a comeback and and say go you know throw like that you got to get those guys touches in different ways and I'm so glad he's it with a coach that knows how to get him touches and make him good um, because I think that's gonna that's gonna pay off for him and for for us as fans. All right, uh, anything else you want to throw throw down on the record before we get out of here? Again, we will be recapping uh, Miami LSU and Florida State Virginia Tech and any other uh, headlines and highlights that come out of the weekend. Uh, in our next show. Uh, anything else you want to get here? Nah, man, that's it. But I'll say this. Clark Lee, 36 years old, first game as a defensive coordinator in college football, and he's going up against Jim Harbaugh. And Jim Harbaugh's got a horde of ex-major college offensive coordinators, head coaches, and Jim McElwain and, and Ed Warner and, and Pep Hamilton. And, and he goes out and just freaking shuts them down like – uh, you know, all credit to the players, but I, I got to give like a helmet sticker or something to my guy, Clark. Like that was, that was pretty cool to watch. And I just, I, I bet that was uh, quite, uh, quite a feeling uh, getting done with that game on Saturday night and, and having a W on your belt. I agree. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.